All right, y'all, we are, we are cruising in the book of Colossians, and um, I got to do something real quick, kind of give that to you, um, before I forget that, let me, if you've got a Bible, I think it's like page 821 or somewhere around there, we're going to be in, in Colossians, and uh, the map just so you can familiarize yourself where we are geographically. Um, we have, I think, I think in, if, if you have a Bible that has, like sometimes a Bible kind of breaks it down and has those little subheadings or those little, um, yeah, just like kind of little headings before text. If you wanted to think about the way that the, the text lays it out, Communicating, they're communicating in code. <laughs> um, if you want to think about the way that the text lays it out, so Paul opens the book of Colossians, and he talks about his thankfulness for the church, right? He's, he's so thankful for the church that, that has been started and has been planted. And then he talks about the supremacy of Christ um, in 15 through 23. And then this week we're going to talk about his labor for the church, how he labors for the church, how much he cares for the church. The way that we've thought about these first two, um, kind of, I guess, using graphics or... You know, that, that first week, we talked about um, that victorious or virtuous cycle as opposed to a vicious cycle. Um, we talked about knowing God's will, his universal will, not necessarily just, you know, hey, God, help me make certain choices, but his, his universal will, the way that the, the, guard, the guardrails, the, the lanes that he gives us in life to, to move forward in. Um, and as we know God's will, as we understand God's will, as we accept God's will, we grow in godly wisdom. Wisdom isn't just some sort of mental, you know, gymnastics. It's a spiritual wisdom. It's a wisdom that combines both our mind, spirit, heart, and we grow in that wisdom of God. And then, you know, he says that you would live a life worthy of the calling of the Lord. So you would live that life. And again, that, that kind of cycles or, um, or circles upwards. It's a, a virtuous, a victorious cycle, knowing God's will, growing in godly wisdom, living a life worthy of the Lord. Last week, we talked about that poem, that hymn, um, which Jesus, or Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn over creation. And, you know, he kind of mimics that with Jesus also being the firstborn over new creation or the dead. It, again, it has this poem structure. It has this musical structure. And then in the middle of it, in the middle of those two verses, he places the church. We kind of talked about how the church becomes the means, the method um, for implementing new creation into this world. Um, I want to just be honest about a couple things, because you might have noticed over the past couple weeks that my sermons might have been a little bit off. Something might have been a little bit difficult with my sermons that you're, um, you're like, oh man, Eric, some, something's been wrong. And you might not have been able to put your finger on it, and you might not have even noticed, but I've noticed. Are you taking him out? He's over my sermon already? Yeah, I thought maybe you got... <laughs> Do you think Ronnie could handle all three at the same time? He could put Max in the car seat, strap Knox, or he could do two car seats and strap. I believe I believe in Ronnie. Okay, so I had this. This was like a big joke set up. Here was my jokes, and I got interrupted by the baby. Um, but you know, like my sermon's been lacking. It's been missing. It's been not the same. And you're wondering what is missing about my sermon. What's wrong with my sermons over the last two weeks? Not one 
single reference to the Tour de France, which ends today. <laughs> Look at that beautiful picture of the Champs. Today's the last day. Uh, they have raced. The, the tour started in Denmark. It started in Copenhagen. Uh, they've raced 2,000 miles over 21 days. They have done 1, 000, uh, sorry, 159,219 feet of climbing. So let me put that into perspective for a little bit because I was thinking about, like, that doesn't even make sense. If you started at the ocean and rode your bike to the top of uh, Santiago Peak, right? So you started sea level and you rode your, you know, Santiago Peak, which is kind of, that's about 5,600 feet, 5,687. You would have to do that 28 times to kind of accomplish the amount of climbing that they've done in the tour. They, they just go over mountain in the Alps and the Pyrenees, mountains, mountains. And then the other, the other thing, I was actually sitting on the couch this morning thinking about this. So the levels of our atmosphere. So you have the kind of first level of the atmosphere, which is kind of where jetliners fly. And then the next level is the stratosphere. And then the level after that, which is about 30 kilometers, no, I'm sorry, 50 kilometers, about 30 miles above, above up. That's how high they've climbed. They've actually climbed, if they were to go straight up into the next atmosphere is how much climbing they've done. It's been a beautiful tour. There's been suffering. I mean, I, I wish I could just show you images and images and, and these don't quite do it justice, but um, it's, it's one of the things that's made it so hot. Uh, one of the things that's made it so hard is, and we've seen this on the news, is how hot it's been in Europe, right? Massive heat wave. There's this great video. I'll show you this great video. Um, how hot it's been in Europe. So some, they caught this guy. What's that? Did that work? I think that, yeah, I was hoping this, this doesn't seem to be doing it quite, but I mean, he, he's kind of joking around and, oh, that's great. That doesn't work at all. <laughs> Let's go to Colossians. These guys have suffered. These guys have absolutely suffered like dogs. Um, again, Chris, we were talking about on Thursday night, the, the financial compensation compared to like golfing is, is a joke. Huh? And, and yeah, I mean, not that, yeah, it's, it's just like, it's, it's five times as much. The, the point of the story is that for our little kids out there, if you have a choice between making your child a cyclist or a golfer, choose golf. They will make a ton more money for way less work, way less suffering, way less discipline. Um, these, guys, these guys have suffered and suffered and suffered. And I, I brought this up, number one, because I do have to at least make one Tour de France reference during the Tour de France. But their suffering does not hold a candle to what Paul suffered for the church. It doesn't. It doesn't. And, and we'll look at what Paul suffers for the church because this is what he talks about. Um, it does not hold a candle. It doesn't hold a bit to what he suffers for the church. So if we've got these Bibles, 821, we're going to read a few verses. Let's do this together. Um, I'll start us off. Paul says this in 24. He says, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery, 
that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Chapter 2, a couple, couple more verses are starting in chapter 2. I want you to realize that I continue to work as hard as I know how for you, and also for the Christians over at Laodicea. Not many of you have met me face to face, but that doesn't make any difference. Know that I'm on your side, right alongside you. You are not alone in this. Number two, uh, verse two. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of, of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by telling surrounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how the sin you are. Thanks, y'all. Okay, so this passage, when I read it, it's, it's kind of a, a thick passage. It's a little bit dense. It can sometimes be just a little bit overwhelming because Paul's making all, these, making all these statements. Here's how I would outline this passage. So he opens up by talking about how he suffers for the church. So this is 1, uh, this is 1 20, 24, right? He's suffering for the church. And then he talks about being a servant to the church, right? And he, he's kind of making this, this servant. And then he says that we proclaim Christ we admonish and teach, right? Which admonish means um, to correct one's thinking. Uh, you have crooked thinking or wrong thinking. It's being corrected. To teach kind of means to, to reinforce what's, what's positive, what you already know. So Paul's saying that we're doing that. We're proclaiming, admonishing, and teaching. Um, and then he says that he labors and struggles for the church. This is 29 and 2.1. And then he says his purpose, right? Or I think the translation that we read this morning says, what is his goal, right? His goal is that they would be encouraged in heart, that they would have courage in their heart, that they would be united in love. They would have a complete understanding of Christ, not to be deceived, and that they would be firm in their faith. So that's how this kind of passage lays out. So again, we kind of talked about a little bit about suffering um, and, and Paul suffers for the church. And when we think about the way that Paul suffers for the church, um, I don't think we have a full picture, but the, God, or the, the New Testament gives us a little bit of pictures. And he actually writes about this himself. So in Acts, there's a, a passage in Acts 14 where Paul is proclaiming Christ, right? And the people who he, he, whom he is proclaiming Christ to, the Jews, are so furious at their proclaiming Christ that they punish him by throwing stones at him, right? They stone him. This was a common way to punish people in the ancient Near East. 
they stone him and they drag his lifeless body outside the city. The, the Bible says they dragged him out and they think that he's dead, right? So because of Paul proclaiming Christ, he's stoned and stoned to the point where they're dragging him outside the city thinking that he's dead, right? That is like, like I mean, think about that. Like that's what Paul is suffering for the church. Um, in Corinthians, Paul talks about some of the suffering, some of the trials that he goes through. He says that he was shipwrecked, that he was starved, that he receives lashes and rods, that he experiences extreme hunger and cold, that he's exposed, that he's anxious, right? So Paul, again, these are just a couple passages. Paul talks about the suffering that he endures for the church, right? For the sake of Christ, he suffers. Now, when we think about suffering, when I think about suffering, I think about it in terms of cycling or athletics, which is honorable to suffer, which it's the, the more you suffer, the, the, probably the greater you will do. In the ancient Near East, right, suffering was considered shameful. It was embarrassing. It was dishonorable, right? You, you would never, especially if you were in the elite or the higher classes, you would never want to endure any sort of suffering. Remember, in the ancient Near East, honor, honor is the currency, right? It, to have honor is the way that you move throughout society. We have this completely wrong in our society where to have money is the way that you move throughout society. You can be a complete fool with a lot of money and people think that you're the greatest thing in the world, right? In the ancient Near East, to, to not have honor, think about Zacchaeus, think about the tax collectors. They had tons of money, but had no honor, right? Nobody wanted to be with them. Nobody wanted to be around them, right? So to, to suffer in, in, a, in a culture that honor was the currency, right? You was, it, was, it was shameful, embarrassing. And again, somebody who had endured what Paul did, all these sorts of things, would have been the scorn of society, would have been just a laughing stock would have just been a fool. But Paul says in the first verse, he says, what do you say? I'm rejoicing. I'm happy. What does the message say? The message says, I want you to know how glad it is me that I'm suffering, right? He's happy about it. I'm, one more reference to the tour. Here's the two guys who finished first and second. Um, and again, in a lot of athletic endeavors or a lot of sports, it's really just who can suffer that little bit longer, right? That's the way that you win, is if you can just suffer, and the guy in the yellow jersey, the yellow jersey, the winner's jersey, if that guy can just make his body suffer a little bit longer than the guy in the white jersey, that's the guy in second place, right? He, he ends up winning, right? So you think about suffering and you think about how admirable it is in our culture, but um, Paul suffers and suffers for the church. He does, he does it despite its kind of social implications, right? And one of the things that keeps him so fixed, keeps his mind so focused, is that he sees whom he's suffering for. The body, the church of Jesus, humanity's sake, he's suffering for history, he's suffering for eternity. So Paul opens up this passage by saying, I'm suffering, I take on that suffering despite kind of the social implications. I, I don't care. I'm actually rejoicing in it. And then he says that he's become a servant, right? When you read the book of Acts too, the book of Acts is kind of the narrative to which all the letters kind of provide commentary on, right? So it's Paul, 
his conversion, his missionary journeys. Um, it's the story about Peter, how the church starts. When you read in the book of Acts, one of the major themes there is you have Peter, right? Jesus' right-hand guy, right? You know, Peter, um, Rocky, I'll build your, my church on you. You have Peter doing ministry. He's witnessing. He's evangelizing to the Jews. And you have Paul being called to witness and, and minister and evangelize to the Gentiles. These two different people groups, right? Now, this creates friction between Peter and Paul, and we read about this in Acts, in terms of the way that they go about their, their methods, but they're each specifically called to a group. Um, we have to remember, though, when, when Paul is doing ministry, right? When Paul is serving his group of people that God has called him to, Paul begins as he's an ultra-Jewish insider, right? He is a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He's trained by the best. He knows the Torah. He, he's so strict. And the, the, the Jews, especially those kind of at the top, they despised the Gentiles, right? They were unclean. They were dogs. They were absolute filth. They would, they would walk all the way around, you know, geographic settings just so they wouldn't have to go into that area, right? So Paul is an ultra insider, right, of Jews who gets converted and now begins serving the Gentiles, the dogs, the filth, the unclean. So to put this into context a little bit, Isan, this one's for you. Are you ready? Here we have two very famous political characters. On the left-hand side, Majorie? Majorie? Marjorie? Marjorie Green? And on the left on the right hand side, uh, AOC. And to, to understand Paul's transition from you know ultra conservative insider to serving the Jews, it would be as if, I mean, could you imagine AOC puts on her Twitter tomorrow, says, Hey, great news, everybody. I am running with Donald Trump as vice president for 2024. I mean, the world would or at least our political country would have a meltdown. Or, you know. Uh, Marjorie Green says, hey, great news, everybody. Um, I'm going to run with Kamala Harris, and we're going to take over the Democratic Party for 2024. Again, these kind of extremes of political, of political preferences, and then flipping side and beginning to serve the opposite side, this is what Paul does, right? If you don't like politics and you like sports, any of sports fans out there, I mean, this is just two great legends, and some people look at these two guys like, I don't know, these pastors, or who are those guys? Are they... Uh, uh, Coach K from Duke and Coach Dean Smith from North Carolina, one of the great sports rivalries. Again, just thinking about those guys switching sides, beginning to serve the other side. Maybe you don't like sports, maybe you don't like politics, maybe you like technology. So here we got Tim Cook doing product launches for Microsoft, right? Um, and this is, this is, I think, is the best, the best one because let's read this verse again, 126, right? Paul, Paul says this, he says, um, or sorry, 25. He says, I become a servant by the commission God gave me to present the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept um, hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people, to the Gentiles, right? So here's why this is such a good analogy. Tim Cook, say, working for Samsung now, launching Samsung Galaxies, right? When we think about that, what Paul's talking about here, this mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people, to the Gentiles, to all, to everyone, right? Um, one of the commentators, I love this, it was like a side comment, but I was like, oh man, that's the best thing, you should have written more about this. He said it's like a product launch, 
right? This mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed, right? Think about the way that all these companies do their product launches, right? They're all kind of working very secretively behind the scenes, making all these things. So that way when they launch the iPhone 14 or that way when they launch the new Samsung or they do this, right? The point of them doing all this secretive, mysterious work behind the scenes is that so one day they come before and they say, I'm launching this new product. I'm putting it out there for everyone to have, right? The idea isn't that they would just work behind the scenes forever not releasing their product. So the idea here that Paul, also known as Tim Cook, switches sides and begins launching product for the other, kind of the other side, the competitor, is exactly what Paul's getting at right here, right? And he says that I will become a servant. I will become a slave. I will become a steward. And he even says like his, his goal here is he says that the goal for these people, these Gentiles, right? is not that they would have a new piece of technology, not that they would have, you know, new connectivity or anything like that. Christ in you, the hope of glory. One of the, one of the great just phrases in the scriptures, if you want to kind of know what, what, the, what, what we're all about, is that Christ would be formed within you, the hope of glory. Oftentimes when we see that word you in the New Testament, it's a plural word. It's not just you personally. It's not that just Christ lives here. Christ dwells among us. Christ in you, you all, right? We got a lot of little noises going on. It's just, um, and then the hope, again, hope isn't like, we always have to remember when we see this word hope in the scriptures, it's not the same as like, I'm hoping my Cowboys win the Super Bowl this year, or I'm hoping that, you know, this happens, or it's certain, right? There is a certainty, there is a confidence behind hope, and glory is triumph, right? Glory is the victory, so Paul says that the goal here for these Gentiles, those whom he is serving, Christ would be among us. Here we are, right? None of us Jews, none of us Israelites, right? Christ dwells among us and we patiently await. We know that the king will triumph. So Paul begins this passage about the church and he says that he suffers for the church. He says that he serves the church. And I just kind of was translating this over to us, thinking about how do we suffer, how do we serve, those sorts of things. And I was, the first thought that came to my mind was, dude, that guy, like, this is intimidating to think about. Like, I don't know if I can handle the rods, the lashes. I don't know if I can be shipwrecked, you know, and all those sorts of things. Paul was an absolute, like, he was a giant. He is a giant, right? But then I thought about this, and I, I thought to myself, you know, and I want to say this to y'all, you're not called to do what he did or be who he was. Paul had a specific calling. God said to Paul, Paul, we're going to do the product launch for the Gentiles. This is your job, right? You are going to launch, so to speak, the product to the Gentiles. You are going to inaugurate the kingdom for the Gentiles, Gentile inclusion. That was his calling. So Paul has a specific calling that God's placed in his life. And then I was just thinking like, okay, Eric, what's yours? What is it for the folks sitting in this church that God has placed a calling on their life to serve and to suffer and to bring forth the kingdom? N.T. Wright, I think, puts this so brilliantly in his, in his commentary. He says, he says, we'd be wrong to think of suffering, right, or serving only in the, in the terms of direct 
outward persecution that professing Christians sometimes undergo because of their faith. The church must, it is true, always be ready for such persecution and we must support in prayer and practical help those who face it. And we need to remember as we sit here on this Sunday morning, people all over the world this morning, right? Even though we're probably not aware of it, are persecuted and suffering for the church because of their faith, right? People all over the world. So NT says that we'd be wrong to think that think in terms in, think of suffering in terms only in the, that kind of direct outward persecution. Even though that's happening all over the world, it's not happening for us right now. And then he says this. I thought that this was very helpful. He says, "But all Christians will suffer for their faith in one way or another, if not outwardly." Then inwardly, Paul says, through the, or N.T. writes says, through the long, slow battle with temptation or sickness, right? The agonizing anxieties of Christian responsibility for a family or a church. Imagine how difficult it is, even in our day and age, to bring up a Christian family, to be part of a Christian church, the suffering that's endured with that, the serving that's endured with that, the constant doubts and uncertainties which accompany the obedience of faith, right? We all have sat in this church and had the doubts and be like, is it worth it? Is it true? Should I keep going? What do I do with my faith, right? And the thousand natural shocks the flesh is heir to. And I had no idea what that. Anybody have that reference in their, in their brain? No. I, hadn't, I had to look it up, so I'll, I'll bring it up to you. It is a part of a Hamlet quote, which makes... Were you going to say that? I was going to say oh. just because, you know, yeah. safe bet. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, it's not the Bible, maybe it's fiction. <laughs> yes, it's the to be or not to be, and it comes down the line somewhere. And I was like, what, what is he talking about? The thousand natural shocks? He's talking about heartache, right? And we experience that as Christians, heartache, suffering, loss, pain, right? So Paul, N.T. Wright, says that this is the kind of suffering that you and I endure, I loved this little kind of snippet from one of the commentaries I was reading. The church is built by acts of self-denial in Christ's servants. They continue the work he began, right? Um, and so, you know, we, we suffer and, and we serve and we do this. And um, I'm thinking of how I'm going to use this next quote, but I don't think I want to. I want to go here. One second. Here's, here's, here's what, where I kind of connected the dots to my life and, and what I want to connect to y'all is I began to think, okay, where, where, because again, Paul is suffering specifically for the church, for the kingdom, for the message of Christ. And I began to think to myself, okay, are there other areas in my life where I might kind of suffer and serve? And how do I take some of that knowledge that attitude, that ethic, and that situation, and apply it into the church, into ministry, into others, right? We could we could even say, um, we could say that that like this too. We could say, we know what it takes to suffer, to sacrifice, to struggle, and serve in those areas. And in some ways, we're taking that same grit, that attitude, that perseverance, that ethic, and we're applying it into the kingdom because we know that that really matters. Right. So here's a couple examples for you. We got a couple teachers in this room. One, two, Jolyn's missing. Dietra's missing. We have a couple teachers. Teachers, I mean, 
teachers just servants in the classroom, right? Just um, in some sense is suffering too. It's not easy. I know, Robin, you've told me just some of the, your junior high kids this year is it's, it's been some, some suffering, some serving, right? Teachers in the classroom, you know what it takes to suffer, to serve there. And then you begin to think, okay, like if I'm doing that there, how am I doing that and how am I applying it into the kingdom context? Parents, most of, most of us are parents in, in this room. Um, but parents, we know what it takes to suffer and to serve and to sacrifice for our kids, right? How do I take that, apply it to the kingdom, apply it to the church? Sometimes we get caught up in a cause or a movement or an event, right? And we, we give our lives and I'll do that. I'll take this responsibility on. I know what it's like to do this. I'll, we suffer and serve. Um, sometimes we do this with our family, with uh, or our social life, right? We have people over, we invite people, or we're going somewhere and we make sacrifices, we suffer and we serve uh, from, you know, often sports, leisure, exercise, activities, we do that. Again, we know what it takes to do those sorts of things in all those areas, right? And we're just asking the question, where, where are we taking that grit, that attitude, that endurance, and applying it into the kingdom context, now, let me say this, because I'm not going um, <laughs> to give you four points on how to suffer and serve more for the church. Because here's what I see. Here's what the Lord put on my heart to share, is how exceptional this church is at already doing it, right? I wanted to affirm, I just want to speak this over the church. I see this in you. I don't see, look, we're a small church. There's not a lot of places to hide. You can't just kind of show up and, and sit in and, and check out, right? Everybody in this church, I see literally, literally doing this, what Paul's talking about. Suffering, serving, laboring, right? There's grit, there's work ethic for the church. And I just want to say that like, like in some senses, like, I'm not even preaching the sermon of, like, do anything. I'm just preaching the sermon of, like, you're already doing it. And you're already doing it exceptionally well. If there was maybe an area of weakness, I would say that sometimes that falls on myself. Because sometimes you guys are so, I'm not anxious, you guys are so excited and passionate about serving. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 don't you, don't you worry about doing the serving. I'll do it. I'll take the responsibility. And sometimes I can, I can you know, not not even allow you guys to have more um, joy and passion in serving and giving. So, I, again, from the bottom of my heart, um, thank you for the eagerness to serve, to suffer, to labor, all the things that Paul talks about. If we were to go back to kind of this, kind of this outline, the way that Paul suffered for the church, right? Now, again, I don't see like y'all not, not taking lashes and being shipwrecked and all those sorts of things. But you're giving your heart and your mind and your soul. You're giving your finances, your time. You're proclaiming Christ. You're laboring. You're struggling for the church. I see that, and I thank you guys for that, and I affirm that in every single person here. And even the folks who aren't here, it's like, man, this is, this is something to, to be seen. Not a church of, of just a bunch of folks sitting in. And then he says this too, right? What's the purpose? What's the purpose for all the, this? That people would be encouraged um, in their heart and their mind and their soul. Remember the, the word encourage means to speak courage into. You're, you're, you're placing courage into someone else's life. 
when you're suffering and when you're serving. You're encouraging others deep in their heart and in their mind and in their soul. Um, And then he says that they'd be united in love, right? The way that we love one another, the way that love is expressed in the church, and again, love isn't just, you know, kind of the emotion that I feel when I hold my son, right? Love is willing the good, the best for somebody. The way that we love people will unite and bring us together and build bridges and hold us together too when, when, when we don't agree, when we disagree, right? That we'd be united in love. That we would help others grow towards a full and mature and complete understanding of Jesus, right? And then we're envisioning someone, I'm envisioning the kids that when, when you're serving in the nursery, when you're suffering in the nursery, when you're laboring in the nursery as Paul does, I'm envisioning those kids standing firm in their faith. Do you understand how difficult that is in today's day and age to stand in faith? It's not popular. It's not sexy. As a matter of fact, the church and Christianity is seen not only as just kind of a, um, like the church, okay, this this is a side note. The church went from like, like the kind of the center and respected into in society, right? Think about maybe a hundred years ago or even fifty years ago. Like the church, wow, the, the church is out there. They're they're the kind of moral compass of the society. So at some point, we've trans the the church transitioned into this kind of like, like this neutral. Um, what's what's it when cancer's not, um, not huh? Benign. The the church is just kind of a benign entity in society. And I would say, I was, I would say that in the last probably 10, 15 years, the church has turned, um, what's the other, not benign, but um, malig- the church is malignant, right? That's the way that society sees the church now, sees Christians, as we are actually the cancer that, that is eroding society, right? So to think about somebody who's firm in their faith, they're not wavering, they're not fretting, they're not anxious, they're settled by their hope and tethered, they're settled, uh, they have a settled hope and their tethered heart to the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Think about the way that we struggle and we serve and we labor. That is the point. So Paul says this again, he suffers for the church, he, he serves the church, he labors for the church. I see that so evident in this church. I'm so grateful to see that evident in this church. And we do this, the point of that we, us doing these sorts of things is to... I think, is that like the sign that the sermon is over? Is that like the homilies like kind of done? Like your bell is, um, uh, and not really, I'm done. That's all I got to say. So I want to do a little discussion because I think that there's some things to, to talk about here, but was there a verse that stuck out to you? Where would that be coming from? The Mormon church? Someone's phone? Johnny, was that your phone? Church bell? No. No? That was your phone he saw? <laughs> Uh, the verse that stuck out to you, how would you differentiate suffering versus serving? Could you maybe think about those two words in different ways? Uh, think about a context that you suffer or serve in. How could you take uh, an ethic or an aspect or an attitude from that and apply it to the kingdom? Again, I want us to think about kingdom too, not just church, because, you know, real specifically what Elise is doing, that's kingdom right there. Like church is one thing. Kingdom's always way bigger than church. 
Um, and there, if you just want to affirm someone in the church who you see suffering, whom, whom you see serving for the kingdom or the church. So take a few minutes. Um, and Isan, will you set a, a bell for us to ring for, uh, for about five minutes? And then we'll um, take a few minutes to discuss those questions and we'll wrap it up.